0: Auto repair is like you've got to be like Columbo. You've got to sort of walk in there like Peter Falk, and and you know, kind of give it that you know squint of the eye, and which he did very well, and just sort of shuffle up to the car and just what's going on here?
1: I must say, I found you disappointing. I mean
2: your incompetence.
0: The car doctor, and then they put the new battery in. What was the mistake? Show of hands. That's right. The guy in the third row back on the left side. He's right. He's showing me the flash card. He's saying, hey, it, they didn't do an idle relearn. Bingo. Give that man a cigar. Oh, I'm It's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron Amy and Andy the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Cardoctorshow.com for more information as well as podcasting. And uh, get on over to Spreaker and subscribe please click subscribe and uh, help raise the podcast numbers and uh, support the podcast part of the radio show. It's, uh, help, it's part of the program that helps drive this program forward, and uh, we appreciate you being there. I have a lot to talk about this hour. I wanna, I'm going to comment somewhere along the way this hour or next. Uh, this is two hours. This is our first hour here Saturday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time out on the network and uh, delayed podcast throughout the rest of the country the rest of the weekend. Uh, I've got to make a comment at some point about the ASE research that I took this week, um, ASC L1 Advanced Engine Performance, and you can see by the test, maybe I'll do it now and get it out of the way, uh, you can see that where ASC, Automotive Service Excellence, where they're going, is they are getting the, I think they're getting the industry ready for the electric vehicle. Very, very, very heavy electronic electrical questions on the ase l1 research uh, i i think there was two mechanical questions 35 questions about relays and the rest just were obd2 and monitors and things like that but just staggering amount of you've got this relay you got four pins you've got voltage 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 um when the car doesn't start what's wrong with the car that kind of thing and it, it, it boggled my mind. It, it, I actually ran out of time. I had to. Tell, I passed, and uh, you know that's what counts, right? At the end of the day, a, a win is a win, a pass is a pass. But I didn't get to complete it. Usually, I have twenty minutes, a half hour left over. The last three questions I guessed in the last two minutes, I just made the best calculated guess I could um, to get through it, because, you know, you think about it, there's, if my math is right, there's 150 minutes and two and a half hours, there was 50 questions, that's three minutes a question, three minutes a question nonstop for two and a half hours, And there was no easy answer. There was no, you look at it, oh, 30 seconds, bang, yeah, it's this. No, it takes you 30 to 45 seconds to read the question. In all fairness, it probably takes you a minute to read the question, read it again, make sure you understand and saw what you saw when you saw it. I saw what I saw when I saw it, see? And then come up with the answer. So you've got two minutes to answer, a minute to read it. It was staggering. Hardest hardest ASC I've ever taken in my 43 years now, 42 years of repairing cars and taking tests. And I can see that 10 years from now, that test will become entirely, entirely electrical, electronic, with no mechanical questions whatsoever, um, getting the industry ready to look at, you know, how to repair this or how to repair that. And unfortunately, I was thinking about this driving home from the test Maybe the next ASC revolution of tests won't be, you know, you have voltage, voltage, voltage. It will be the board went bad. How do you open the drawer to slide it out and put the new board in and start the vehicle back up by means of electronic interconnection? And, um, you know, yeah, just just wow. Um uh, tough test. Tough test. Anybody out there taking it? I'd like to get your opinion. If I got any brothers in arms out there that have taken any recent ASCs, I'd like to hear what they have to say. I'll tell you another one that that annoyed me before we get to the phones. And I know Bill's over there with a few others waiting on the phone lines. Just uh, one second. Um, had a one of the prep test questions was you know, they give you the, the, the you get to take the prep test before the test, was an engine doesn't start. It has low compression on all four cylinders. Is it A, burnt valves, B, blown head gasket, C, worn piston rings, or D, broken timing belt? Burnt valves don't happen in one cylinder. Burnt valves, you know, it's usually one cylinder burns a valve. It would be rare to see all four valves burnt in an engine. So you're looking at commonality and what's the most probable is the way the questions are always worded. So you take burnt valves off the test. Same thing for a blown head gasket. Blown head gasket is not likely because it's usually one cylinder or two cylinders, not four cylinders or eight cylinders, whatever the number. So that comes off the possibility. You're down to worn piston rings or broken timing belt. A broken timing belt, if the engine turned over, depends on where the piston is, what the compression reading would be. Depends on what the valve is doing. Is a valve letting something in, pushing something out? Where's the piston? It would be low, uneven compression with a broken timing belt. The answer I came up with was worn piston rings, because in my mind, worn is wear. If an engine theoretically wears evenly, you would say it's got to be worn piston rings, right? No. ASE says it's a broken timing belt. i got to write them a letter. I think they're wrong. I think that's a... I think that question is inaccurate, and <laughs> promotes inaccuracy in terms of test taking, and it, it skews everybody's mind. All right, and I, you know, that's what we're up against, folks. And that's you know what. And if we can't get the test, the prep test questions right, and we can't get the test test questions right. Nobody wants to take ASes, and that's why that's part of the problem. Why you have issues with um, you know mechanics being mechanics? It's they're they're battling an uphill uphill line all the way, so uh, just something to think about. Let's get over and talk to Bill in Michigan. Um, not like anything I have to say is important anyway, and uh, <laughs> let's go over and see what's going on here. O two 2
1: That was a very interesting commentary, and I think that reflects the real world. This stuff is getting more and more difficult by the hour.
0: It, it, it is, Bill, and you know, if we're going to take tests, let's take accurate tests. And, and, and I don't care how they do it, but there hasn't been an ASC test that I haven't taken over my career, and I've taken... I've taken ASEs probably eight or nine times now, where I haven't sat down and said, they ask you the question and you go, what kind of car is it? Um, be, be, you know, because on a Chrysler it'll be this, on a Ford it'll be that, on a GM. And they'll, they'll tell you that they try to write generic, you know, n- no pattern failure type of questions, and it's difficult. It really is. And I'd, I'd really like to hear the argument for the broken Tommy belt causing low compression. It should be low, uneven compression. And, it, you know, so, but anyway, how can I help you today, sir? Good to hear from you again. I got a
1: 2002 Grand Prix standard 3.8 with 186,000 miles. Got two problems, Ron. Okay. Primary one is a fuel gauge failure. Uh, I bought the module, the AC Delco module, with a new pump. I'm going to go change everything while I'm that deep into it. The problem I'm having is removal of the gas tank locking ring, it's pretty well rusted in there. Yeah. There are four prongs, prongs that attach to the tank. And the ring sets over the top of that. On that ring, there are two steel prongs about an inch and a half high that apparently you're supposed to get a tool between and be yep. able to twist it out. Yep. This is rusted very badly in there. I've been hitting it with Gibbs and uh hammer and a, a brass chisel. Um, I'm now going to go to a non-sparking pneumatic chisel because I can't break it just with a regular yeah. hammer. Yep. Any? Am I missing anything, Dan, to these tanks in 2010? You,
0: two, you know, the, the only other thing you can do is find that tool. There, there was a tool that, you know, um, locked down. It, it was the negative impression of that ring, so it looked like an upside-down castle uh, that would actually fit into those notches, and then you can put a 3-8 or half-inch ratchet on it and give it a pop on all four. And, okay. and and if you if you pop it all four, maybe that'll shock it loose. Okay. All right.
1: I've got it ordered. It should be here in a week or
0: so. Okay. Now, right. if, if you break the tank, then the, yeah, the, the then the well then the bigger problem is is the tank still available?
1: No, they discontinued in 2010. I've got to find a used one, but I've already got one lined up because I can very easily foresee that happening.
0: Okay, right. You know, you have to, and uh, you know, there's a. I mean, obviously, the web now makes life so much easier. But you can um, go out there and find used tanks. Get something from a southern, you know, a southern salvage yep. yard if you have yep. to, where there's where there's little rust. Right. But yeah, that's 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 not uncommon, Bill. We go through that all the time. It's poke and hope and pray. Um, yeah, you, know. you
1: deserve combat pay for what you guys do
0: on <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, we had one. I'll tell you a quick story. We had a, we have a customer, two thousand Nissan Frontier. He bought it as a used vehicle from a very sleazy used car dealership, and I, I say it because this one particular guy was just he's just bad news. This guy um, is just not a nice guy, and we straightened out the EGR light or the EGR fault and the check engine light. We've done a bunch of work to the truck, and it's slowly coming back to the point where it's okay. Rick, the customer, poor guy. He's, you know, he's trying to, you know, having some father and son bond time, and they went to change the oil uh, last weekend, and it took a half-inch breaker bar to break the oil drain plug loose. But what they ended up doing was they didn't break the drain plug loose. They broke the welded nut on the inside of the pan loose. So now the drain plug spins with the nut, doesn't leak, but they can't get it out. Now, on a 2000 Frontier four-wheel drive, in order to drop the pan, you have to pull the front axle out. You have to pull out a, a bunch of cooler lines, and it's 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 easily three quarters of a day's work. You know, it's 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 a it's a struggle on a non-rusted vehicle. This baby's 18 yep. years old. Yep. All right, in, in New Jersey, in New I Jersey, you, you need a tetanus yep. shot. Looking at the thing, um, you, you know, before you even touch a wrench. So. <laughs> You know, yeah. It's it's who's going to fix that and how are they going to fix it? And uh, you know that 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 becomes an issue. That becomes okay, an issue. I got so.
1: one more item if I can sure. run it by. I go know ahead. we're running out of yep. time here. I got a uh, dual dual manual climate control on this. No matter where you put the selector, Ron, uh, you get air out of the uh, defrost and out of the floor, but not where you want it to go. Does that sound like a mode door actuator?
0: Yeah, you got you got the ability to pull codes with this bill. Yeah, I do. Um pull some codes, see if you've got any codes in the body fault um, or in the HVAC and then go from there, okay. but it sounds like a blend door not responding and, you know, you can just sort that out from there and uh, my right, advice no, Ron, is. Uh, go ahead.
1: There's some confusion on the terminology. Is it a blend door or actuator, or is it a mode door? I understand they call the selector a mode door actuator.
0: Yeah, it could be mode door actuator. I, you know, blend door, mode door. You're right. Um, you, I, I stand corrected. Blend door is for the um, blend door actuator is for the temp control. Mode exactly. door actuator yep. okay. is for position. Um, what, right. I thinking, okay. what I was thinking, what I was going to say was, if you do have to take part of the dash apart to get to one. While you're in there, change everything yep. you can get access to because they're they're not easy. I just to, did a heater
1: core, an evaporator, or AC evaporator core two years ago, so yeah. I've been in there.
0: Yep, so you know where I'm coming from. So I hear you. All right, Ron,
1: get, once again. You're a great resource. I appreciate it. Thank you're, you again. You're
0: very welcome, Bill. You need something, you know where to find me. 855-560-9900. Ron Anini and Annie in the Car Doctor coming back right after this. Don't you hate when you need some
4: expensive part or service? It sure makes maintaining your car a frustrating task. Thankfully, Pep Boys has over a million parts in stock, like batteries, filters, brake pads, and more. And if you need a little extra help, the Pep Boys will install the part for you. Since 1921, Manny, Mo, and Jack's legacy has been to provide quality parts, service, and tires to people everywhere. So the next time you need car advice or simply want a service done, head to the pros. Visit your local Pep Boys or shop online at PepBoys.com.
0: Hey, welcome back. We're on the name of the Car Doctor, 855 Hey, does Ford really have a better idea... I was reading an article, and I'm not going to go into it too deep right now. We're going to get right to the phones, but back to the phones. But, uh, you know, a recent article that was written by a Jamie Kitman, he talks about Ford's decision. You know, as I'm sure everybody's aware, Ford is going to abandon the the car market here in North America by, by 2020. Almost 90% of the Ford's vehicles will be truck and utility and commercial vehicles. And I'm saying, are, are you kidding? Like... Uh, is that putting all your eggs in one basket to the point that you know? What if the price of gas goes to four dollars a gallon? What Some, if we somehow I don't see my
4: wife driving an F one hundred and fifty pickup truck. Well, she she wants a sedan.
0: Well, yeah, and I. I I don't know where Ford is. I don't know what they're basing. And thank you, Tom, by the way. Tom is in today. Tony's out. Tony's uh, Tony's, Tony's, among the missing. He had things going on today.
4: Well, well, you see, Tony got called into his other job. See, that's what he says. Yeah. But he met Niecy Nash the other day. Do you know who Niecy, Niecy Nash is? No. She's an extremely attractive lady who's part of that TV show Clean House. And something tells me that Tony is helping her clean house.
0: I, You know, i got to get out more. I don't, I don't know the names of any of these TV shows or, you know, the last, the last character that I really had a connection with was uh, named Schultz, and he knew nothing. You but, need to uh, hay, start hanging with me, dude. Yeah, I... <sighs> let's go to line two and talk to uh, Rich. Rich from Virginia. Rich, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help?
4: Hi,
2: Ron. It's Rick, and uh, you and I. You've worked on this car. It was my mom's '97 Camry. Okay. Uh, the ABS light and the traction off light initially started coming on, and then. Um, later the check engine light came on. All right. It wound up that my diagnosis I'm getting is, uh, co- I had the code, wait, but the, it seems to be the alternator because it's triggering the a- and check engine light to come on is what my guy is telling me. I don't know if that's the case.
0: That doesn't sound right.
2: Someone else told me I should replace the ABS module, and I don't think that's it.
0: Well, let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's back up here. So let's talk about the check engine light. Did someone plug in a scan tool?
2: Yeah, I got a P, zero, 0110. One, zero. Which is saying it's an intake air sensor, and I don't think that's it. I think it's just it, what I've been advised recently is that it's getting false codes because the it's only putting out 12 volts roughly at a at normal drain.
0: Okay, so let's 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 stop. All right. Sorry. We, we, that's okay. We we need to we need to take some basics. All right. This is a case where we need some basic information. You know, if it's got a if it's got a P zero one eleven or P zero one ten, whatever it is, intake air temp sensor. Let's let's test the sensor. All right, there's ways to do that. Uh, the easiest way would be to bring it up on a scan tool and read the value. What does the computer see? Uh, you know, walk up to the car, plug in the scan tool. The vehicle should be sitting overnight, and just turn the key on. Don't start it. All right, if it's seventy degrees out and the scan tool ambient air temperature sensor reads 70 degrees, then it's correct. If it reads 40 degrees and it's 70 degrees out, it reads wrong. All right? Um, Ambient air temp sensors don't fail too common on those cars. Usually they've been left unplugged, and the harness falls down underneath the intake boot, and nobody ever sees it. So before we start going down the rabbit hole, let's, let's just look at basics. Let's get the car running. Once we get the car running, put a voltmeter on the... On the charging system, let's do a let's do a voltage and an amp test. What can the alternator put out? All right. I mean, these are you know, Rick. Rick this is a basic car. This is you know, a, 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 an easier car to work on than fifty percent of what's on the road. Eighty percent of what's on the road. All right. Um, basic tests here. Let's not jump the gun. And then and then last, let's go take a look at the ABS. And you know. See where we are. I mean, there's some diagnosis that can be made. It's a a little difficult because it's a 97, and you need to go in through the connector under the hood as far as accessing information. But, you know, an alternator and and an ABS control module to just start throwing parts like that at a 21-year-old car without some sort of firm diagnosis, I, you know... It's like it's like trying to take a long walk off a short pier and not expect to get wet. I think somewhere along the way, somebody's going to get in trouble.
2: Dig it. Okay, that makes perfect sense. And right. that's what my mindset was. So yeah. thanks for giving me what I thought was the right direction. Yeah. You, you're let's, always... Let's, for thank you, Ron. Let's,
0: you're always... You know, whenever you're doing a diagnosis, Rick, and for everybody else, whenever you're doing a diagnosis and you have questions about what's, what could it be, could it be, Heart rate, blood pressure, you know, pulse. Always go for the basics. Baseline the vehicle. Understand what you're up against and work your way out from there. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy the Car Doctor coming back right after this.
4: drives that way but when it comes to fixing cars ron has car advice done right
0: 855-560-9900 here's ron hey wait a minute now lucy come here come here lucy i got lucy the wonder dog in here with me today she's helping me fix cars um she's a little old lady from pasadena yeah she really is she's getting old you know she's eight years old now and um you know it's funny before the show i I had her out in the uh, field next to the next to the studio and she was you know i remember Three years ago, she could. She's a pit bull, by the way, everybody. And we could we could throw the ball for Lucy, and she would, you know, for twenty minutes, nonstop, just wouldn't. Now, four throws of the ball, she looks at me, she goes, "Okay, I'm ready." Inside, she came, she plopped in on the tile floor of the studio, and just sat there panting. And she's like, "Okay, I'm done. Just I want to go to sleep now." So, all right, can I go back to radio? Okay, go lie down, baby. I want to go on to this article about Ford. Ford has a better idea. I'm concerned about this for a lot of reasons. Uh, You know. Let me read the article. You can write a book filled with all the things someone might say, think, or splutter about Ford's recent decision to largely abandon the North American passenger market. This is from uh, Jamie Kittman. I found this on uh, MSN. Uh, In late April, Ford's CEO, new CEO, hmm, maybe soon to be the old CEO, Jim Hackett informed the financial community that coming 2020, 90% of Ford's North American portfolio will consist of trucks and utilities and commercial vehicles. Um, farewell, Fusion, Focus, Fiesta, and Taurus. Hello, things taller, wider, and most likely heavier. How did this happen and why? Cheap gas is the obvious culprit. I think the author missed the point here. Um, at, at gasoline at almost 2 to $3 a gallon, I don't know that that's cheap gasoline. It's cheap in comparison to the rest of the world, but I don't know that it's cheap that it made the corporate decision. I think Ford did it because they like selling big trucks, SUVs, And crossovers, which have a higher profit margin in them. They're in business to make money. But I think this is a mistake. I think you're setting yourself up for what happens when gasoline skyrockets and goes through the roof. What happens when there's another fuel shortage, if there's another fuel shortage, or a raise in prices. Has anybody noticed, kind of interesting, right, where we're just about two years into President Trump's um, presidency, right? Guys, price of gas is going up. It's just starting to come down now my prediction in a year and a half gas is going to get really cheap again and you want to know why because it'll be an election year I I, I see this I've been this is my first day at the rodeo folks but I, I keep seeing this all the time makes me wonder the article goes on to say hard to recall but gas mileage improvements are happening in this country after years of cheap gas natu- national fuel economy stopped improving in 2017. This is what government industry and much of the citizenry said we weren't going to go through and do again. Thinking back to 2008 and 2009, how different the mood was when federal bailouts for GM and Chrysler and a $5.9 billion loan to Ford from the U.S. Department of Energy spawned a generation of more fuel-efficient powertrains. And that's true. And I don't get what's wrong with having a small car with with fuel economy or why you can't have a few in the lineup. Ford and others apologize for their environmental – I can't say that word – Prof, P R O F L I G A C Y. It's not proliferate, it's prolif- proliferation. Proliferation. No, it's proliferacy, is the way that reads. Really? Acknowledging their own roles in their financial troubles and the lack of fuel efficient cars they had to offer in times of high gas prices. So then, why are they going back to this? And, and that's the part I don't understand. They testified that there was nothing they wanted to do more than get away from their over-reliance on SUV profits to build a new generation of sedans and vehicles while getting a big leg up on this electric car thing. See, that's where this is going. All right? That was my interpretation as I read the article. So Ford hasn't, you know, the other foot, the other foot, the other shoe, could be a foot, the other shoe hasn't dropped yet where they're going to, okay, we're not. we're making trucks and SUVs, and now there's a gas shortage. Now we're going to come out with this full lineup of a full line of electric vehicles. And I think about that in conjunction with the ASE test I just took and the questions they were asking me prompted me to say, hey, this is all about electric cars in the future. It's not about internal combustion gas engines. And you know, that that's that's where this is going. Today we understand this position. As an aberration or a bout of temporary insanity? I don't think so. I think there's a bigger, bigger pause for the cause here. A momentary detour from the long-term strategy for America, which is to make more money short-term, selling as many of the biggest cars they can get away with. The prospect of an imminent autonomous ride-sharing, ride-sharing sales collapse future has them running scared, convinced they need bank cash while they can, like the rest of us, Detroit wonders how soon the gravy train is going to dry up. Someone told me the other day, sort of related to this, a 71 Hemi-Cuda convertible on Barrett-Jackson sold for over $3 million. 3.2, 3.4, some stupid number. All right, it's one of six Hemi-Cudas made with convertible. It's a real rare car, blah, 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 blah. I get it. When the government says no more gasoline 10, 12 years down the road, it's a flower pot. That's all you're going to be able to do with it. Um, I, I've come to the conclusion that everybody should take their hot rod and muscle car and drive the damn thing because there's, there's – you're just going to – it's just going to go into the ground. It's going to get scrapped. It's, it's going to become a museum piece. What's the point? Trust me. There's The game is underfoot to rid the planet of gasoline. They're, they've, they've got issues.
4: I'm Where just hoping Ford doesn't uh, shoot themselves in the foot with this, because weren't they started initially to bring the car to the masses? Right, and, well, that's that's affordable? what the Model T did.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, I, I and Tom, I really think that's what they're doing. I think they're setting themselves up for failure. I Listen, I'm no marketing genius. I'm no economic swami, but it sure doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Ford president of Global Make Markets, Jim Farley burnished Hackett's 90% Not Cars Promised to Investors by allowing that the company was also eager to build more authentic off-roaders. This despite almost no one ever going off-road, which I don't understand that market, because what percentage of the population drives a vehicle off-road? Some of the people drive on the road like they are off-road. That's a different conversation. You can't market to idiots, but, you know, anyway. This brings us to the question of the deeply deeply psychological place... High-riding SUVs, trucks, and crossovers occupy in the human psyche, meaning everybody wants a big vehicle, which I agree with that. I really do. You know what? When you look at it, I saw a YouTube video the other day. They they had a barn find on a 1968 Ford Galaxy 8 or 9 passenger station wagon, 4-speed on the floor, kind of a neat car, bucket seats, console, 4-speed on the floor, and a 428 Interceptor motor in it, and the the car was specially contracted by Ford to be built. I mean, even then, we all wanted passenger. We, We wanted big, right? You know, we've gotten rid of the station wagon. The poor station wagon went bye bye. And I think the station wagons were a great car. So now, hey, what the heck? We'll have an SUV. It'll hold as many people as a station wagon, but it's heavier. It's 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 a lot faster. I get it. It's it's not great for fuel economy, and it costs a whole lot more. You're right. Let's go build SUVs instead of station wagons because they're more affordable. I, you know, makes no sense to me. Um, I think Ford is shooting themselves in the foot. I think they're setting themselves up for a problem. And I, you know, they're going to be coming to us for a bailout. And I'm going to go, nope. Two years ago, Ford boasted it had been named Interbrand's best global green blend. But something happened on the way to the in Ford and the rest of the industry bumped into President Donald Trump. Aha. Who created a safe place for the bigly regulated the bigly regulated, I like that, to get back in touch with their biggest, baddest selves. Along with other manufacturers, Ford lobbied the newly receptive government of a rule-burner-in-chief to overturn the upgraded but still imperfect Obama-era cafe corporate average fuel economy and emission standards for 2025, which they gleefully did. The industry, which had agreed to the rules under much humbled circumstances, went back on its word, meaning that back in 2008 and 2009, when Ford Motor Company and GM and Chrysler were struggling. They said, "Okay, we'll build more fuel-efficient vehicles. You got to give us the loans, and you got to let us stay in business." Um, I'll finish this when I get back. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Running into the car, doctor. Come on back. We'll finish the Ford story and uh, take some calls. <laughs> Welcome back, <laughs> running and Car Doctor. Let's uh So anyway, in conclusion, let me just finish this story real fast. I know we got we've got some phone calls. Um, I, I think Ford is playing Economic and political dynamite here, um, to the point that I think they're going to find, my prediction, they'll be bringing cars back shortly after 2020. I just don't know that they're going to be gasoline. I think they're going to be electric, and that's going to create the changeover changeover transition and uh, let them get away with it. Let's get over to the phones and talk to Mike and Danell and some comments about General Motors getting rid of regular fuel. Hey, Mike, yeah, I've heard about this. What are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, Ron, I, I I was thinking about that and uh, about, about the Ford thing first. They they have a EcoSport um which is a subcompact uh that they're going to be uh, putting in place of some of the smaller cars. But the General Motors thing is um they say they're going to be using higher compression engines and being that there's so many turbos being uh put out there and maybe some superchargers the engines are going to run better and cleaner with the higher test fuel. Now, what happens to people who have a car that doesn't need that fuel, and it's just a waste, you know, the older cars?
0: Well, true, Uh, you know, and and it is a waste, and I don't know that this is going to happen overnight, but I also think part of what General Motors is after is by running the vehicles that require higher octane, making them run the higher octane, it creates less problems with the engine. I mean, let's face it, running a, running an engine that requires premium on regular over the long haul or even the short term can cause some issues, and I think what Ford's trying to, I mean, what GM's trying to get away from is having those issues become warranty facts, too. All right? Now,
3: those particular engines that have a higher uh, compression ratio, such as uh, the GM's, the Mazda's, the new... Uh, Nissan engines have you read about those Yeah, Maz, variable, a, 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 uh, well, Mazda as a
0: matter of fact is coming out with an engine with no spark plugs.
3: Yeah, that's that's the one I'm talking yeah, about. Um, that's that's going to need that fuel as well. Yep. So, uh, we can see where this is going and if, if the fuel is higher during the holidays, uh, you just add another 15, 20 cents on top. And you got your margin. But then again, if you're only selling one type of fuel, then the, why not drop the price a bit and, and let everybody be happy?
0: Well, and I, again, Mike, I can't, you know. Okay, so Monday morning this week we're going to wake up and all there is is 95 octane fuel, which is actually two points above most fuels now. Most premiums now are 93. So we wake well, up Monday. And, it unleaded. Uh, right. Well, I'm, I'm saying unleaded. All right, it's got a letter. Yeah, because
3: with the letter, and it used to be like Sonoka used to put out 108
0: right but you know we're not we're not talking then we're here now yeah, right okay. right right now octane rating on fuels are um, usually in the 87 89 and 93 range so yeah. let's say they get rid of all those and all of a sudden it becomes 95 octane <sighs> How are they gonna do that you know what are, what are you gonna say to that single mom with three kids that's struggling every week and you know her money is budgeted out? and all of a sudden she's got to go from paying 250 or $3 a gallon to 350 a gallon. That extra 50 cents well, on 10 just gallons adds have up. To
3: adjust the price accordingly. They can't
0: have it both ways. Right. Right. So I think what'll happen is, you know, premium will be the new regular and it'll be 95. They'll figure out a way to, you know, make it mandatory where that car requiring 95 gets 95. Listen, I'm sure I'm sure they could come up with a sensor, a knock sensor, something that the slightest bit of detonation would turn on the check engine light and maybe put it in a limited mode of operation that would possibly reset with correct fuel, different octane rating, that type of thing. You know what? They're talking about it. They haven't done it. Uh, do I think they can? Depends on how much money there is at the end of the rainbow because it's all about money. It's Mike, it's all about money and emissions. That's all I cars used to are ever I bring about. That
3: up for you because uh, I, I read it this week, and I said I got to get to Ron and see what he thinks.
0: Yeah, it's it's it's, it's all about money, brother. They they do these Thank things. Buddy, I
3: appreciate the time.
0: You're very welcome, Mike. You take good care. They do these things, folks, because it's about money and emissions. It's it's you know, believe me, that's the underlying cause. They might make it pretty and they might make it faster, but. They're trying to also make money at it, and that's why they do what they do. 855 560 9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor coming back right after this.
3: Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor is brought to you in part by Wix Filters. Explore new products and find your filter at wixfilters.com.
0: Welcome back. Ron and Amy, The Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. Cardoctorshow.com is the place to go hang out and uh, it's a podcast and pick up the live show. We've got a live stream there as well as other things uh, going on. And also there's a Facebook page, Ron and Amy and The Car Doctor. Tom, I like that spot where you put it. Um, I thought that was well played. Uh, Thank you. Just a little open critique on there. I thought, you know what? It sounded different. Why can't we do that more often? Yeah. So we can do anything we want. We own the thing. So um, listen, I want to talk about the real fix from the folks over at Mitchell One, Real Fix Sure Tracks, The Fastest Path to Fixed. And I've been reading these of late. I've been reading them for a while. And and, and Real Fix Sure Tracks comes to us from the folks at Mitchell One, and they're available out there on the web for mechanics and everyone alike. It's basically real-world scenarios of failures and repairs involving the Mitchell community, in other words, there's a, a an online presence of mechanics that will contribute and help out this guy in Florida and that guy in Florida then helps out the guy in Texas and so on around the country. And um, they put these up on the web. There's, you know, I think we've given the website before. It's, uh, we'll get it out to you, Mitchell one. We'll put it up on the Facebook page. Um, but the idea is that they're there. Today's talk's about, it talks about panic. Panic works for once, is the title of this SureTrack fix. Sometimes it takes an unusual procedure to get the job done, even when you can't find, especially when you can't find any other solution. SureTrack community member Eric01 had a Chevrolet S10 in the shop with a soft brake pedal, and after several bleedings, the pedal would go to the floor. He put the question out to the Mitchell 1 community, and with the help of fellow community member Iron Nuts and others, they were able to resolve the issue very quickly. The following fix summarizes the interaction. Vehicle, 1996 S10 Chevy, soft brake pedal with engine running, repeat the bleed procedure. Firm brake pedal, engine off, pedal drifts to the floor with engine running. With engine running, the rear chamber of the master bubbles constantly while brake pedal is being pushed. This is where I thought it got very creative and very interesting. They installed two master cylinders. I get that. That's that's the doubt that mechanics carry with them all the time, at least the good ones, because they're always concerned that they doing the job right. The brake booster checked fine. They blocked off the lines after the equalizer and before the ABS unit, and the brake pedal stayed firm. There was no way to energize the ABS hydraulic unit with a scan tool because it's an early production vehicle. So what did they do? They asked around the community. The community said, hey, go out in the driveway where there's gravel. Do some panic stops. Activate the ABS. Get that pedal vibration down at the bottom of the pedal and try bleeding it again. The air in the system was released. The pedal got hard, all because of asking the community from the folks at Mitchell One. I'm Ron and The Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.